0: Uh, Church, if you have Bibles with you, you can open them up to John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be. And then uh, in John 21, uh, first of all, I am going to introduce myself. If you don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. I'm really glad to have you with us. Our normal pattern on a Sunday morning, we'll sing songs together kind of in worship we'll uh, enjoy one another's presence that's a lot of what Sunday morning is about but we also open the Bible together and so if you don't have a Bible with you we printed the passage out in the bulletin this morning too so hopefully you got one of those when you came in and if you don't have a Bible you could follow along with us in that printout in the bulletin so today is kind of unique though Because while, yes, we will normally walk through a passage in the Bible and discover what it is that the Lord has for us there, uh, today we are doing something unique. Uh, Today we are doing Vision Sunday. Uh, And what that is is essentially a way for us, like one or two times a year, our church kind of orients ourselves around what it is that God is calling this church to? What is kind of the pathway in front of us? What is he laying out for us to step into as our elders are discerning and trying to figure out, okay, uh, the Lord has a plan for us. We want to be faithful to respond to that. What does that look like? So we are also doing that this morning as well, but we're still going to open the Bible together. So before I get into anything about talking about what is in front of us, I just want to start by looking at the last year and tell you that I am really, really thankful to be a pastor in this church. I am really, really thankful for what the Lord has accomplished in this place over the course of the last year, because exactly one year ago today, I stood on this stage and presented uh, all of you with financial realities that we were facing. Uh, not knowing actually whether or not we would be able to take the steps into the future that we needed to take, not knowing whether or not we would have to do kind of a serious re-evaluation of what it meant for us to exist as a church. And, and so, um, so I came on behalf of our elders to you and asked, would you make a commitment um, to seeing this vision that God has for us come to fruition? And what it requires is actually a, a bit of a financial commitment for us. And the people of this church responded to that call, actually, in in an incredibly faithful way. Uh, So one year ago today, we had those financial uncertainties. And over the last year, God has proven that through your generous financial giving, through your faithful service here in this place, through answered prayers, and through measurable fruit that we have seen, that he is indeed up to something here. Like He is doing something. He has proven that to us. He has made us very clear. And I, before I talk about, okay, this is what we're doing next, it, it is right and good to acknowledge that God has done something really, really good here over the last year. And so, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just spend some time praying, thanking the Lord for that, and then we will walk into looking at what's in front of us. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for your work here in this church. I thank you for convincing hearts, uh, for saving the people in this church, for convincing us of the truth, of the reality of your gospel, of the things that you have accomplished, to draw people into relationship with their creator. But I thank you uh, that over the last year, you have shown your generosity towards us in so many different ways but that we can just see evidence after evidence of the fact that you are indeed working in significant ways in this church, in this community. And so we're really grateful to be a part of that. And we don't want to step into what's next without first acknowledging you and saying, thank you for what you have done so far. So thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. So uh, our vision, I want to put our vision in front of you. Our vision for this church is that we will become a conversion community. You may have heard me use terminology like that before. If you haven't, that's okay because I'm going to explain what that means. A conversion community is a community of Jesus followers among whom 5 to 10% of those who belong are new to the faith within the last year. Now, as we talk about that goal, the actual goal is 10%. The goal of the rate of conversions that we would love to see is 10%. But the reason we say 5 to 10% up there is that we're recognizing that not every person who is drawn to faith through the people in this church is going to end up in this church. Right? They're not going to end up in this body. So, so for example, crossroads. We have ministry in the public schools. We see professions of faith happening with the kids in those public schools. We recognize that many of those kids who make professions of faith don't end up in this church. They end up in other places or in other churches. Some of you have family or co-workers who live in other communities and, and, and they would have to drive a long way to get here, but you love Jesus and you love them and you want to share Jesus with them and so you want to shepherd them across the line of faith and get them engaged in a Jesus-following community in the place that they live and that is a really faithful thing to do. So, uh, so we say five to ten percent of people uh, here recognizing that if we're all actively engaged toward that 10% goal, then some of that should start to affect the culture of what we see here, right? To the extent that those who are coming to faith, some of them, many of them, are ending up connected to the life of the body of this church. Now, you may be inclined to make a mistake as you read that vision, and I kind of want to ward off that. Mistake. I want to stop you from making that mistake. The mistake is this you will read the words, We will become a conversion community, and think, Oh, we're going to become a place that runs programs where people get saved. Right? If you read those words, We will become a conversion community, you might think, We will become a place that runs programs where people get saved. And I say, Amen. Like, let's see that happen. That would be fantastic. I would love for this church to be a place that runs programs where people get saved. But to stop there would be to read that vision kind of too narrowly. We would be reading that vision too narrowly because that, what I just told you, a place that has programs where people get saved, that is a conversion organization, right? That is a conversion enterprise. That is not a conversion community because a community is a community because it is full of individual people who make up that community, right? So so it's not enough for us to simply be a place where we witness a 10% rate of professions of faith each year. I mean, that would be great, but that is not actually what we're aiming for. To accomplish the vision that we're laying out here, it actually means that instead of being a place where that happens, that we will become people who each take ownership of shepherding others towards faith in Christ. That's what it actually means to carry out that vision. So then let's do some math, right? Okay, and I know like I'm a pastor, so math is not my strong suit, I get that. Um, But let's do some math. Uh, If each of us take hold of that vision for kind of a corporate, uh, collective among us, 10% conversion rate, and we we each have a stake in that vision What does that practically look like? What what does that mean for you? This is what that means for you. In a conversion community, it means that every 10 years, each person will take responsibility to shepherd one person towards faith in Jesus. That's what, if every individual takes ownership of that vision, what that means is that everyone who is calling this church their home will take responsibility over the next 10 years to shepherd one person across the line of faith in Jesus. So towards that end, and recognizing that vision as the pathway that God has kind of laid in front of us, I want to ask a question That is going to help us move forward and discover how this will happen. And that question is what enables a person to trust and follow Jesus? What does it take for a person to trust and follow Jesus? So I started uh, reading a a new devotional this year. That devotional is by Henry Blackaby. Uh, He wrote the book, Experiencing God Together. And and on January 1st, the kind of first day of the devotional, it focused on the centrality of the question that we're going to consider this morning, the centrality of that question to the entirety of the Christian life. Like everything that the Christian life is about, it considered this question that we find in John 21, 15. So John twenty one fifteen says this. In verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? See, Jesus poses this question to Peter for a particular reason. That reason is that Peter, out of fear of what other people would think of him, and out of fear of what would happen to him when he was accused of knowing Jesus, during Jesus' arrest and interrogation, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Essentially, what Peter did was equivalent to betrayal. Like, so, so this, Peter did, after Jesus had said things to his disciples like, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So Peter had, in a, a pretty explicit way, betrayed Jesus. He had sinned. He had fallen short. He had displayed first allegiance to something other than Jesus. He had betrayed the faith that he claimed to hold. And so Jesus poses this question to Peter in order to give Peter a pathway into renewed faith and obedience. That's what he's aiming to do. He's, kinda, he's inviting Peter back in, right? So let's be clear on something. Peter Peter had already experienced what we would call a conversion. He already had kind of an initial experience of acknowledging who Jesus was. He had already started to follow Jesus. He had already made a profession of faith. Those are all things that already happened with Peter. We're looking at a time when Peter, later in his walk, had made a commitment of deeper faith, of deeper obedience to Jesus. And that's what this instance is. This is a time later in Peter's life. So you might be asking, why are we looking at that if we're talking about what does it take to draw a person to initial faith in Jesus? but the reason that we're looking at this part of Peter's story is cuz I would argue that whatever enables the 50th step of faith enables the first step of faith. Whatever enables the 50th step of faith it's just the same thing over and over and over again that enables people to keep taking steps of faith. So this is a life-changing experience for Peter. What he experiences here with Jesus. This bears remarkable similarity to a conversion experience even though he had already had his initial conversion experience and even though he had already started following Jesus and so it shows us something this this exchange between Peter and Jesus shows us something about what enables a person to trust and follow Jesus so let's focus in on the question Simon son of John do you love me in this passage three times Jesus asks Peter this question And in this passage, three times, Peter responds positively to Jesus. So it goes on in verse 15. It says, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, there are many things that take place in this exchange. We don't have time to deal with all of the things that are happening between Jesus and Peter here. But there's something significant is that what had happened, Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. And three times here, Peter is invited to affirm his love for Jesus, and he does that. And as a result of the three affirmations, Jesus then three times issues the same command to Peter. He issues a command. He issues that command three times as a result of Peter's love. So it goes on in verse 15. It says, He said to him, Feed my lambs. So Jesus here is recognizing that love results in something. Like if Peter, Peter, if you love me, then this is the result of the love. I'm going to give you responsibility for something. Right? You have to take ownership of something. You have something that you have to do. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Then display that love in taking responsibility. And so they repeat this back and forth three times, and I want you to observe how their exchange ends in verse 18. Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus says to Peter, here's an implication of the fact that you love me. Here's what it means that you love me for you practically. And the responsibility, here's, here's the implication of the responsibility that I'm giving to you. It will mean that, Peter, you're going to go somewhere that you do not want to go. It will mean that your love for me is actually going to be greater than your wants and desires. And so as you read this, you might notice the similarity that some of what Jesus says to Peter here has to crucifixion language. Like having your arms stretched out. Like going somewhere, being dressed by someone else, going somewhere you don't want to do, don't want to go. And verse 19 clarifies for us what it was. Verse 19 says this he said, Jesus said this to show by what kind of death that Peter was going to glorify God. So for Peter to obey Jesus would mean that someone else was going to take his life. Peter would become a martyr for the cause of Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, this is what you're signing up for. Your love means that you have responsibility. And carrying out that responsibility, Peter, will eventually get you killed. And so this is what that means for you, Peter. Your love is going to be stronger than your fear of what others think of you. And your love, for me, is going to be stronger than your fear of what might happen to you. And so, verse 19, at the end, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is inviting Peter to think through what it really means to follow. Right? That, that the path of followership means... That the one following is willing to follow the leader despite the cost, or no matter what the cost might be, no matter what the consequences of following might be. the The follower follows the leader no matter the extent. And Jesus is also teaching Peter another lesson. He's teaching Peter what is going to be required in him to make him the kind of person that would follow Jesus to that extent. Which is why he asked the question three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus, for what it's worth, so he was teaching Peter this lesson, what is going to be required in you in order to follow this command, to take this responsibility to the extent that you would die for me, you're going to have to love me, right? But Jesus had already clarified this to his disciples before. When he sat with his disciples, he, gave, he, he told this to them. He said, if you love me, you will, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the question that we're asking then is what enables a person to trust and follow Jesus. What does it take for a person to trust and follow Jesus? Whether they're crossing the line of faith for the first time, or whether they're taking a step of faith for the 50th time, what enables a person to trust and follow Jesus? Love for Jesus. Right? That's what it requires. That, like, the thing that enables the lost people, or that will enable the lost people in your life to trust and follow Jesus, is love for the Jesus of the Bible. Right? If they learn to love Jesus more than those things that would keep them from Jesus, then that's how they will cross the line of faith. So then there's a natural question that follows from this, which is, how does a person learn to love Jesus and grow in that love? All of these questions just follow after each other, right? How are we going to accomplish this? Well, how, how does this come about? How does a person learn to love Jesus and grow in that love? So this is what I'm going to invite you to do. Um, Uh, This week, as you're reading, you may have Bible reading plans that if this is going to be overwhelming for you, don't do it. If you can do it this week, every day this week, read the book of 1 John. It's five chapters. It's relatively short. If you feel like that's too much, just read 1 John chapter 4 and read it every day this week. Because in there, we have an indication of what it takes for a person to learn to love Jesus and to grow in that love. So I'm just going to highlight a few pieces of 1 John 4 for us. 1 John 4.10 says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a big word. It simply means payment, right? He sent his son as an exchange, right? Jesus came and died in our place for our sins so that we would not have to pay the price for our sins. That's what it's saying. So he's saying, in this is love. God loved us so much that he sent his son. That's his love expressed to us. Jesus came to die in our place. Verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His spirit. So here we have some indication of like the, our ability to grasp love having something to do with the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 16. "So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So we believe in this love that God has for us. And so verse 19 clarifies it all for us and says, We love because he first loved us. How does a person learn to love Jesus and grow in that love? We love because he first loved us. Right? We grasp just how much we are loved by Jesus. How will your friends and neighbors learn to love Jesus and grow in that love? Well, they're going to need to grasp how much it is that Jesus loves them. And this work is accomplished by the Holy Spirit and by the truth about Jesus and by the love that they receive from Jesus' people. Okay, so my goal this morning was not simply to preach about love, because I love preaching about love and the love that Jesus has for us. It's one of my favorite things to do. But that's not my only goal this morning. My goal was to show us what that has to do with our church and where we are at this particular stage. So remember, our vision is that we will become a conversion community, which means that every 10 years, each person here will take responsibility to shepherd one person towards faith in Jesus. So what is our pathway towards carrying out that vision? Or rather, we might ask a question like this. How will we be a people among whom other people grasp just how much they are loved by Jesus? Right? How, what is it going to take for people to come among us and in this place, and because of the relationships that we build, what is it going to take for those people to be convinced that they are deeply loved by Jesus? And so that question is what led the elders of our church to develop our core values. Now, we unveiled those core values. We have talked about them, but we probably could talk about them more. right? We probably could say them more and help you understand them more. But here they are. Our core values are bless, belong, and become. So with the short time that we have left this morning, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to look at each of those values... Because we believe that those values are the pathway to how we will accomplish helping people experience that they are loved by Jesus, right? So in the short time we have left, we're going to look at each of those values and use them as a lens to begin grasping what is next for us As a church. So let's look at BLESS first. Uh, BLESS is an acronym uh, that helps us as individuals think about how to intentionally help our friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and co-workers. If you remember that, we use this uh, phrase. You sometimes hear people say Frank or Fronk, right? We're talking about our friends, relatives, neighbors, acquaintances, and co-workers, right? uh, So BLESS is a tool to help us Help us communicate with those people, love those people, show them God's favor, reveal to them just how much they are loved by Jesus. So, so for some of us, this is a review and a reminder. For others of us, this is new, and that's okay. Uh, if you're like, how am I going to remember that? Or how I'm gonna, am I going to hold on to that? Uh, there's a bulletin board on the, the wall that's nearest to me out in our foyer. And if you go out there, it has BLESS, the BLESS acronym on it. You can look at it there. There are also bookmarks on, on the kind of table, uh, Next to that bulletin board, you could grab those bookmarks and take one with you as well in case you are thinking, I might forget this. That's okay. We, we're trying to work so that you don't have to worry about forgetting it. So, uh, what is the acronym? B, begin with prayer. Yeah, you, anybody you want to see come to Jesus is not going to come to Jesus through your effort. right? It starts with the Holy Spirit and what he's going to do. L, listen with compassion. Most people in our culture are not interested and being judged or being, have their, having their perspective torn down by you as you try to prove how right you are to them. Right? They want to know that they are loved, and the primary way that you can show them that they are loved is that you can listen to their story with compassion and offer your own perspective, but not make a, a big deal about trying to prove to them your rightness over them. Right? Listen with compassion. E, eat with them. Open up tables, share presence, right? Uh, enjoy company. The, the ability of a meal to take a relationship with a person to the next level, to make that relationship more valuable and more sweeter, like to, to have a chance for that person to be welcomed into your home or for you to go into their home can significantly deepen a relationship and create more opportunity for you to S, serve them. Right? Finding opportunities to meet needs for them or inviting them into your life to help you meet some needs that you might have. And then finally, S, share your story and Jesus' story. Right, So bless is an intentional tool for us to help us, number one, recognize the numerous ways that we can reveal Jesus' love to others, but then number two, recognize that we, as a church, can only accomplish the vision that God has given us to the extent that every single one of us each of us takes ownership of blessing others right whatever god is going to do here he is not going to do through me or anything that i am able to do he's not going to do it through don or anything that don is able to do and he's not i mean we have a small part of that right but but it's not going to be a program that we start It's not gonna be uh, something impressive that we're able to put up on a stage in front of people. What we are able to accomplish here, we will only accomplish because it happens through all of us, right? Because we're all taking ownership of it. So uh, regarding bless, how will we move forward? I I wanna kind of call you to something very specific this morning. How will we practice bless? I wanna encourage you to number one, identify your one, right? We talked about that 10 years. For the next 10 years, one person across that line of faith. Who is the one person, right? And be careful not to turn them into a project, right? That, right? That's, that's a huge mistake, right? Just, just love the person, right? But love them genuinely as Jesus is changing you into the person that he's changing you into, which means if you love them and you love Jesus then you're going to listen to them and care for them. And you're also going to probably talk about Jesus because you talk about the things that you love, right? So identify who your one is. And here's the thing. If tomorrow you see that person cross the line of faith, you know what you can do? You can start the 10 years over again, right? Like new clock starts. You don't have to wait 10 years to find a new person to seek to draw to Jesus, uh, so that, that's number one. Identify your one. Number two. And this is the intentional part. You've got to write it into your schedule. At least once every 30 days. Bless them in an intentional and unique way. Now, if you feel like... So, wait. Before, before I go too far here... Um, like, if you have a friend who you're having, like, water cooler conversations with at work, or what I, I don't even know how we have conversations now, but, but imagine that is the thing, right? Um, your intentional and unique way is not going to be the normal water cooler conversation that you have, right? You're, you're seeking to go above and beyond or outside of the normal realm of your interaction with that person to reveal to them the extent to which they are loved by you and loved by Jesus, Right? So bless them in an intentional and unique way. So if you, if you hear me talking about all of this and like, what is your responsibility? And you feel like you are lacking the tools to be the kind of person who is able to shepherd somebody else across the line of faith. Right? You feel like, okay, pastor, I hear what you're saying. I hear you telling me that I need to do that, but I don't feel like I have what I need. You, you can do that, right? I see that you have that ability, but I don't have that ability. If you're, you're feeling that, if you're experiencing that this morning, I have two things to tell you. Number one, we have a prayer meeting once a month here where we do very intentional training towards equipping us in how we interact with lost people in our lives. Right, so that's the first thing I want to tell you. The second thing that I want to tell you is if you don't feel like you have what you need, like that's why elders and pastors exist. We exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if you you feel like you need something that you don't have access to, that is something that your elders and your pastors need to be aware of so that we can do our jobs more effectively. So so if you hear me telling you that this is your responsibility, and you're like, I don't have what I need, tell somebody that you don't have what you need because we want to get you the tools that you need to help you effectively take ownership of this vision that God has given to our church. Okay, I could probably stop there. I should probably stop there. Uh, Because uh, if you start thinking, okay, what can I do? This is the place for you to start. Like, what is it that the Lord has for me? Like, this is the place for you to begin. And I fear if I say other things, it might draw some of the emphasis away. But we do have two other core values. And I just want to briefly talk about those core values and what it lays out in front of us as a church. So how will we practice Belong? A significant piece of people believing that they are loved by Jesus is that they become a part of commu- a community of people who all love Jesus. Right? That's, that's what it takes for a person to believe that they are loved by Jesus. So community, for what it's worth, is more than just showing up in one place one day a week. Right? Community is the experience of having people who do life with you who know the hard and the good and are walking through it with you, right? So our small groups, our Bible studies, they, they function as community for many of the people here. Uh, we also have done Alpha, right? And there are a couple of families who have connected to this church because of Alpha. Alpha helped those families find community, and because of the community that they had there, they were then able to connect into our church as a result. So as you build relationships with others... We kind of recognize that we as a church need to ensure that we have community that those others you're connecting with can connect to here. So this is what that means for us. There are two two kind of next steps that that means for us. Number one, it means that we need to identify mature leaders who can create spaces of community and growth for others. Right, So a couple of things, like we want to start a regularly occurring alpha. If we could do alpha once a year here, that would be really significant for us. Because what that means for all of you is that as you you build a relationship with somebody who might have questions and might want to investigate more deeply, but, but a worship service is not going to be the space for that to happen. Alpha exists as a space where that can happen, where people are sharing tables together, eating a meal, and interacting around big questions about who is God and what is my place in this world. And so what that would require for, of us in order to do that is two families who regularly partner together to open their homes to fix a meal and to lead a discussion right? That's what it would take to run an alpha once a year at this place for 12 weeks. We also need to start one or two more small groups so that people have a place to connect, right? So that they have a place where they can grow uh, at other times during the week. So that's, that's the first thing that we need to do. The other way that we're going to practice this, though, is that we are going to reinforce our Sunday morning hospitality experience. So we've been talking about this for a while, um, and this year we are getting a team together to examine how we can ensure that when you invite the people that you're reaching out to, to our church, that they will have an experience here in which they are welcomed, in which they can understand what's happening, and that they can walk away feeling like, I, maybe there's a place for me to belong. So, uh, so this team is going to look at everything from like, getting out of the car to coming in the door to the physical arrangement of our space to what people see on the walls and in the hallways uh, and to what kind of experience they uh, have to, to the things that they hear uh, to what they receive from people who interact with them. And so here's what I know. As that team kind of starts to evaluate those things, it will call on many of us to step up and take responsibility to fill some roles in helping people feel loved and welcomed in our church. Okay, so that's that. The last one, how will we practice become? Uh, And I will just mention this briefly. First of all, our greenhouse evaluation. I, I have a meeting with somebody tomorrow. We took the first layer of the survey. There's another piece of the evaluation. Just real quick, if you don't know what greenhouse is, greenhouse is a process by which we would partner with our denominational district in developing leaders in this church, to go out to other places, in other churches, either in our district or in other places across the country or in other places in the world. That's what Greenhouse is for. But there's an evaluation process that we have to undergo. And what that is going to do for us is it's going to help us develop some clear discipleship pathways. That's one of the things that we have to figure out before we can become a Greenhouse church is we have to develop some clear discipleship pathways. Greenhouse is going to help us do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I would call all of us. How will we become? All of us should invest in opportunities to more deeply experience God's love for us. You should invest in opportunities to more deeply experience God's love for you. Because the only way that you are going to love Jesus is to know the extent to which he first loved you and to let that push you out into what it is that he is calling you to. So what? So what? We're at the end. Uh, Number one, who's your one? Every 10 years, each person will take responsibility to shepherd one person towards faith in Jesus. Right? It used to be that you could expect people who were curious about church to come walking through the front doors of a church on Sunday morning. Culture has shifted dramatically over the last 20 years. You cannot expect that anymore because mainly people are far less curious than they used to be. And the only way that that's going to change the only way that people would become more curious about it is not by you lamenting how terrible the culture is and how frustrated you are with how degrading things are going. Right? The only way that that's going to change is if there are people in the lives of those people who can show them that Jesus is actually worth being curious about. Number two. If you're new, I recognize that there are some people here this morning who may not be familiar with us, who may be new, who are like, okay, this is like a, just like an us talk. But I also want to let you know, if you're new, you are invited to ask the question here, where do I fit? <coughs> Maybe you're not so new, and you'd also be invited to ask that question too, right? You hear us talking about stuff, and you hear us saying, okay, has the Holy Spirit put me here at this time and in this place with my gifts to address some of the things that we've been talking about this morning, right? If that's the case, find me, find one of our elders, and we can help you get connected to that. But maybe you're new this morning, and you don't even know where you are with God. You heard me talk about all of this, like drawing people to Jesus and and people believing in Jesus, and you're like, I don't even know if I've done that yet. And if that's you, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He loves you deeply. And what he's doing, like... He may have brought you here this morning just so that you could know that there are a bunch of people here who want you to know how deeply you are loved by Jesus. And if he indeed does love you to that extent, I would invite you to receive his gift of love. What is it that he loves you? To what extent does he love you? We're going to talk about that in a minute with communion. But he was God, eternally existent before creation. And he came down in the form of a child. He became flesh, became like us, that he might die for us. He proved his victory over sin and death by rising from the dead. And he extends to any person who would trust him the opportunity to believe, to trust him, to follow him. And so maybe you would decide today that you want to receive that love from Jesus. You can do that. You can simply say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, and you can start following him today. So to that end, I would invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for all that you accomplished in this church in the last year. I thank you for what you are planning for this community, for the people in this community, the people who are outside the four walls of this church for Bartlett and for Hanover Park, Lord, for Streamwood, for for those places that we are nearest to who have people in them who have not yet heard about the good news of Jesus, about the, the fact that they can be restored to relationship with their creator. So, Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here who has not received that gift, that you would let them know by your Holy Spirit how deeply they are loved by you, Lord, in, in in receiving that love, would you enable that person to return love to you for what you extended to them? Lord, you showed us greater hospitality than any person has ever showed us. You showed us greater care and attention than any person has ever shown us. You have drawn near to us to extend love. We're thankful for that. I pray for all of us, that you would teach each and every one of us how to be increasingly thankful for that love and to return love to you as a result. So Lord Jesus, as we look to the year ahead, we look forward, recognizing it's you who was faithful over the last year, and it's you who will be faithful in the year ahead. So we cling to your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name.